Well, come on back and uh, grab your Bible. And we're going to turn to the 91st, 91st Psalm, Psalms. That's what we're going through. Now, listen, it's okay if you don't know this, but there's two different testaments to the Bible. And the Old Testament is what we're studying, but I'm going to take you to the New Testament real quick and show you something in Ephesians chapter 5, right around verse 19, okay? So, um, why are we studying the Psalms? <laughs> well, the Psalms are important. And let me read this to you. Chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians is a letter written to a church in Ephesus, Turkey. And it gives a lot in this book about how to conduct ourselves in church, in the local church. And chapter 5 talks about walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, what marriages should look like in the church. But in the middle of a section on walking in wisdom, it says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or be, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Watch this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what we're to do in church. If we're not doing that, we're not doing what the church started as. So we've decided that we're going to go all the way through the Psalms. And what's interesting about that is Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. Longest book. Somebody's repeating back to me out there. <laughs> That's okay. It's no problem. No problem. Many, the most chapters. Let's put it that way. You might be right. Let's, let's say the most chapters. And what's another fascinating thing about it, it's not directly in the center, but it's approximately in the center of the Bible. Which means... What is worship all, or excuse me, what is the Psalms all about? It's about worship. It's like the worship workbook. And we're learning and seeing and figuring out how the Old Testament saints, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down poems and lyrics to songs. And then they would take it and give it to the musicians or the choir directors so that they could set it to a tune or a melody and sing it in the tabernacles. Back in the Old Testament. Now I'm talking Old Testament. So you get to studying this, and you know what I say, and I'm the pastor. Wow, that was four psalms in a row that were almost exactly alike. Which is interesting to me. Because a lot of times in the Christian life, check this out now. Listen to what I'm saying. Plug in right here. A lot of times in the Christian life, we don't need more information. We just need to act upon the information that we already know. <laughs> and the Lord repeats it several times, like stay in the word. I'm paraphrasing now. Stay in the word, stay in the word, stay in the word, stay in the word. You're like, come on, move on to the next psalm. And I think sometimes what the Lord's saying to you and I is, yeah, but... Are you really staying in the word? So until you do that, 
let's not move on. And why would he say stay in the word? I mean, why would he do that? He'd say it because that's the safest and healthiest place to be. It's where he's revealed. It's where we receive life and sustenance. I mean, the Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active. It's not history on some pages. The Bible, by the Holy Spirit, comes into your life. The word of God comes into the child of God's heart, and the Holy Spirit does something to us and propels us on and helps us to live godly life. But we have to uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit because in Timothy it tells us that we are to exercise godliness. Now why am I telling you all this? It's because sometimes I think we fail to do what God's put in front of us. Like for instance, we're going to hear something over and over again, some things over and over again tonight, but just singing a new song and praising and worshiping. I mean, is that part of our daily Christian experience, our walk? And I think that's one of the things, just by being in the middle of the book and all these things, 150 chapters, you're saying, come on with it now, Lord. And the Lord's saying, no, you don't get it. We're not moving until you get it. <laughs> All right, so here we find ourselves in the 91st chapter, 91st chapter. I forgot to do the announcements, so you remind me at the end because I have some announcements that I got to tell you, uh, but if I forget, remind me. You're on the hook right there. <laughs> okay. All right, so Psalm 91. You'll notice here that we don't know who wrote it exactly. We don't know who wrote it. But we know this is a very famous psalm because we've heard it several times. We've heard it several times. So let me read a little bit of it, and we'll talk about it. He who dwells, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, in the secret place of the Most High. Now, the Lord there just used the name for God. He's going to use a different name for God here very quickly uh, in the next chapter. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place, it's a word or name for God, El Yan. It's often associated or in the stories of the Old Testament in which there's worship and praise surrounding God. So here, whoever this writer is of this psalm, it says, he who dwells in the secret place. It's this place where you dwell of the Most High. The one who is worthy to be praised. Do you get that part? In other words, he or she who stays in praise to the one who's worthy to be praised, that's the secret place. <laughs> oh, you're not getting it. <laughs> Do you know there's a story in the Old Testament of the Israelites going out to battle? <laughs> it's really funny. I read it to you a couple weeks ago, and I won't go through it all, but they get ready to battle, and they say, okay, the Lord tells them to call up the singers to put them in the front. Singers? I got something funny to say about singers, but there's some in here right now. <laughs> but anyway, singers to the front, and they start worshiping, and the enemy gets vanquished and ambushed, and the Lord is teaching us through that real story there that we do our battles in praise. And so here, 
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he uses the word for God that's most closely associated with praise and worship. Do you get what I'm saying? And then he says, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty is El Shaddai, the one who's powerful. El Shaddai, the one who can take care of all things. I mean, do you get it? Here, where are we to be dwelling in the secret place, that secret place of praise and worship in our prayer closets with the word? That's where we do battle in the secret place. It's not out and about being famous and doing all those sorts of things. It's when we get to heaven, wow, you're going to see some, maybe some people you saw on TV, but you're going to see tons and tons of people who nobody even knew about. But to the Lord, they were doing battle praying for people, being faithful at little things in the church and serving others and sharing with people who were in need because they dwelt in the secret place of the Most High. They stayed in praise and then they abided under the shadow of the Almighty. They lodged there. They stayed there because they know praise produces mighty things and the Lord does mighty things in the midst of praise. That's a better way of saying it. Well, he goes on and says, I'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. In him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Now I want you to see Hebrew poetry at its best right here. You get this? He's saying there's an enemy... There's an enemy that's a fowler, one who catches birds. And he, he, he sets traps and he's sneaky. And he has snares so that he'll run the birds into the traps, right? And he, you know, um, slinks around and tries to catch these birds. Now, you know this. We have an enemy as Christians. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It it says it right there in the New Testament, but we wrestle against the principalities, the powers. We wrestle against the enemy of our soul, Satan and his minions, his, his soldiers, if you will, organized soldiers who want to snare us. And if you think about all the things that we can find out from the Bible about the enemy, where does he attack you? Here. Right there, boom. He's going to get you thinking you're not good enough to go to church or you're not, oh man, you're not like the pastor. You don't do this or do that. And I'm just like you, so I'm nobody. But you get what I'm saying. And people have an argument or something at home with their spouse. And then the next thing you know, they're, I can't go. And the the enemy's saying, yeah, you're right. You're a total whatever. And the enemy wants to steal from you. What? Steal your witness. He wants to get you to look at pornography and have people find out. Right? He wants to get you to uh, uh, cheat on your taxes or cheat in a business deal and get it in the papers. You've got a target on your back, you see. And he's a liar. He lies to you. And he's a murderer and a thief. And he wants to steal and all that sort of thing. So 
You have a fowler who wants to put you in a snare and get rid of your witness. But what's interesting is, watch this. But the Lord covers us with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. Now the Lord's not a bird. He's a person. But it says here, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. And I want you to circle truth. If you want to know how to be saved out of hell, here's truth. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him. Believe it in your heart and confess him. And the Lord comes into your life and now you're going to start walking with the Holy Spirit in your life as the temple of God. And the truth is that you're becoming more and more like Christ, Romans 28, 8, 28, and 29. But I want you to see something. His truth is a double protector, a shield. He's referring to a little shield that the armies of the time would hold, but he's also uh, referring to a buckler. It's not your buckle. A buckler is a square shield, a bigger shield. He's telling you right here, if you'll be in the truth, you're going to be doubly protected. <laughs> so I'm asking you right now, are you in the word every day? Are you in the word of God every day? Every single day. If you're not, you're exposed. And that's what this is telling you. Now, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, four hours of Bible study or anything like that, but are you doing personal devotions? And see, we don't have to stop, right? Or excuse me, we don't have to go on any longer in the Psalms. You say, well, you talked about this probably 40 times, 50 times since we started in Psalm 1. Well, see, that's the point. The Lord keeps telling you and telling you and telling you and telling me. And yet... I still neglect my times with the Lord sometimes. How about you? Yes, yeah, so here's the thing. Let's do something about that. Let's ask the Lord for help and don't miss and spend our mornings with the Lord so that we'll be doubly protected and not only be protected, we can go out on the offensive with the sword of the spirit, you know. We can go out on the offensive too. And we can share God's love with people who are hurting. Listen, for those who do this, you're not going to be afraid of the terror by night. You're going to have strength and you're going to have coverage. You're not going to be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. Who shoots the arrow? It's your enemy. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. God's protection beats all the odds, right? Because, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high. Watch this, your dwelling place. It's the place that you stay. In the, book, in the New Testament, it's called abiding. Abiding means staying under. Staying under the authority and the direction and the truth of the Messiah, Jesus. You're to abide there and not leave, right? You're to abide in Christ. And it says, because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, watch this, no evil shall befall you. 
nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Does that sound familiar to you? It should sound familiar to you because in the New Testament, New Testament, Jesus is out on a fast. Do you remember this? Very early on in the Gospels. And the enemy, Satan himself, takes him around and gives him three quotes from the scriptures getting Jesus or trying to get Jesus off track or off the will of the Father. And this is one of the things that he asks him. Or he says, hey, I'll throw you off the corner of the temple here. But you don't have to worry, I'm paraphrasing. For he shall give his angels charge over you. But guess what? He doesn't finish the rest of the verse in the New Testament. The enemy doesn't. And that's another way of the enemy. You gotta, listen, you gotta, you gotta know your Bible. You gotta know the word. Here's why. Because the enemy of our souls takes scripture and it sounds true in some places and then he just twists it just a little bit to get you off track. The reason is, is because what was the enemy of our soul and the enemy of Jesus up on the temple getting, trying to get Jesus to do? He was trying to get Jesus to, make, uh, to be an exhibit, to, to be an exhibitionist, to, to jump off, like to sort of like prove the Lord as if the Lord needed proved. You get what I'm saying? And Jesus knew it and he wouldn't fall into it. So here, what I'm saying is, it's imperative that you and I know our word intimately, which just means this, that every morning, every evening, forget GMA, Good Morning America, <laughs> forget CNN, forget Fox News, forget whatever it is you watch, watch this, and just spend time with the Lord, 15, 20 minutes, and before you go to bed at night, 15, 20 minutes, listen, just a little bit. There's even a two-year Bible reading plan back there. You could just do a little bit at a time. It, you don't have to speed ahead and read 16 chapters in one day. Just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and God will honor it. And I'm convinced he will. Because he wants to, give, uh, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. And here's what this is talking about. Listen, when, the, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus, you no longer live by human capability. You actually live by the supernatural. What do I mean? You get the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And as you walk with him and talk with him and trust him. Look, there are supernatural things that begin to happen in your life. In fact, I'm looking out here, and I include myself in this, and I'm seeing many, many, many miracles. People whose hearts were once hard and tough and difficult and the Lord's come in and save them of their sins, forgive them of their sins, and now give them a new heart. And they're walking forward in mercy and grace and love and kindness and forgiveness, which is what the gospel's all about. So he says there, the lung lion and the serpent, you will be able to even trample underfoot. There are going to be supernatural things that happen in your life. Because why? Watch this. If you didn't get anything from tonight, nothing but this one right here, get it. It's not that we love God. It's that he loves us. 
that makes us so stable, that creates stability in your life, that creates security in your life. It's not that you love him and, oh, yes, we should love him. It, we, but we only love him out of the love he has for us and our response. You get it? God is always the initiator. In fact, one of the best verses of the New Testament that you could learn is, <laughs> uh, we love him because he first loved us. And the reason is, think about it, one God, three persons, self-sufficient, self-loving, didn't need humans, and yet created humans knowing they were going to fall, ready to send his son in our place. You talk about love now, to get us back to him. Think about it. Anybody here have a son? Raise your hand if you have a son. And then, when you think of that, he sent his son to die for us. Think about how much you love your son or your daughters. Well, here, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I'll deliver him. I'll set him on high because he has known my name. Look up John 17, 3 before you leave here. What's eternal life? It's knowing God through Jesus Christ. Knowing God or being known by God. It's that knowing here it is right here in the Old Testament. He shall call upon me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, I want to show you, tell you something here. I read through this and go, well, wait a second. Maybe you're reading the same thing. I've been a believer in Jesus Christ for a while. Maybe you have. Well, death came to my family's house. My dad died. I didn't want him to die. I have uh, been let go from a job before when I had three little kids. That wasn't too fun. And I was a follower of you, Lord. I want to read you something, and hopefully we have it on the screen. Yeah, we do. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon concerning this psalm. Watch this. It's impossible that any ill, ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Wait a minute. How could it be impossible? My dad died. I lost a job. The most crushing calamities, watch this, can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. You want me to read that again? The, yeah, me too. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him or to her is no ill at all, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him or her. Sickness is his medicine. Can you believe that? Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word could ever happen to him. For everything, 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 everything is overruled for good. Whoa. <laughs> now what could possibly, or excuse me, yes, what could possibly enslave the person who knows that <laughs> deep in their soul by the person and work of Jesus? That no ill is a bad thing, but a good thing, because it's an opportunity there for uh, God to over, ever, overrule everything for good. 
that's powerful. No person is ever more free than one like that who lives like that. The shofar back there, I hear. We're, we've just been transported to Israel. <laughs> maybe, maybe you rapture doubters are coming around right there. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> How, Psalm 92. Given that, listen, given that, we know that it's, it is good to love the Lord, but it's better to know that he loves you. <laughs> so my natural question is, maybe it's yours. Well, what can I do for the Lord? Romans tells us, by the way, you just give your whole life back to him as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. But look, what's good to do? To the Lord. What can we do? What can we give? Well, here's an interesting psalm. It's a song for the Sabbath day, a day of rest. This was a song for the Sabbath day. We don't know who wrote it, but apparently it was written so that they could use it in the areas of worship. What could I do, Lord? Here it is. Look at this. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. You go, yeah, I know that. Well, do you know that? Given what we just read? It's good to give thanks to the Lord. The word for Lord there is the covenant God of Israel, the one who makes covenant, the one who promises, the one who delivers on his promises. That, who's, that's who it's good to give praises and thanksgiving to. So it's good to give thanks to the Lord. That means God values it. But not only does God value it, it uplifts the one who's doing it. It's good for us. He values it, and it's good for us. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. And I wonder, listen, listen, is giving thanks a regular part of your day? Oh, good, fantastic. I hear one yes. But it, for the rest of us, I wonder, and here's the other point of this. It's in the middle of your Bible. How many times in the Psalms has he said, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks? There must be a reason. I think I know the reason because I forget to give thanks. I've been trained to argue. <laughs> That's just what I do. That's what I do all day, every day, is argue with people. And now, then I go to my legal job. No, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. So, and, and I come from a sport background, and it's so easy to fall in that rhythm of, boom, let's just get it done. Let's get the work right. And before you know it, it's two days or three days. But it's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's a good to exercise godliness in that way to give thanks. What is some of the things that you could give thanks for? Well, every single day, no matter what, if you know the Lord in a real and saving way and you're counting on his, his finished work at the cross, the blood that he shed, his death and his resurrection, and you've surrendered your life to that and you've trusted that, you know that you're going to be in eternity with the Lord. And I sing the song, I shouldn't because I'm not a very good singer, but when you've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, 
you'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And that's true. And so it's good to praise his name, the Most High, and to declare his loving kindness. Now, here's where you have to know Hebrew. So I'll teach it to you real quick. This is a word hased, H-E-S-E-D to us, hased, and there's no English equivalent. This is such a glorious trait of God that they use hased, but it's multifaceted. Here they use it and call it as loving kindness, but it's that committed love that God has for his people that's supernatural and so beautiful, they can't even have a word for it. And so what he's saying here, it's great to sing praises to your name, O Most High, and to declare your loving kindness. When? In the morning. The first thoughts of the morning being the Lord. There's a really famous pastor. His name's Ray Stedman. He started a church right across from Palo, uh, Stanford in Palo Alto. I think they had eight families to begin. And within about two or three years, they had about 15,000 people in their church right across from Palo Alto. Or excuse me, uh, Stanford. I don't know if you know much about Stanford, but that would be tough, a tough going. And uh, <laughs> Ray Stedman said, uh, speaking on this, uh, said, yes, every morning, and this is interesting. Here's Ray Stedman, right? The great Ray Stedman. He would have his prayer time and then, uh, or his time with the Lord. And he said, I'd get in the shower and I couldn't stop praising the Lord. And you're like, what? You got in the shower and still couldn't stop praising the Lord because the water was hitting him. And it reminded him of being cleansed uh, by the water of the word. And so Ray would praise and sing in the shower. And his wife thought he was a little weird, but... But you can even praise him in the shower you can, because he's so loving and kind. In fact, in Psalm 63, it actually said that God's hased, loving kindness, is better than life. That's how beautiful the Lord is. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every single night. Watch this. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. They had instruments back there, just, just so you know. Anyway, that's for my really uh, conservative friends. Uh, but anyway, so they sing praises, they declare loving kindness and faithfulness on instruments. Why? Why would they do this? Why in the world would they do any of this? Because, here it is, you have made me glad through your work. Your work. And it reminds you, in the Old Testament, he worked for six days, and then he did what? Rested. But it reminds us in the New Testament of the work of Jesus to come and die. And to go into the grave, come out of the heavens as a baby, to die. What glorious work for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. And all the things in the New Testament, think about it, or excuse me, the Old Testament, he took them out of Egypt and he uh, made manna and he sent the quail and they would disobey and murmur and he would lead them into the promised land and get, set up, a, you know, the whole thing. All the things that the Lord did, this writer could say. But now here, how much better can we say the works of God? 
what he's done for us. All day long, we could be praising him for this. I will triumph in the works of your hands. In other words, I am assured victory. You know what? Just like Spurgeon said here, Spurgeon said here, there are going to be some tough trials and tribulations and heartaches in this life, but you're going to go to the next life and be in glory and joy and peace and strength for always glorious. Oh Lord, how great are your works. You see the psalmist here just bow down in adoration. Your thoughts are so deep. God is intelligent. A senseless man doesn't know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass. Now here, who here doesn't like it when the wicked get away with stuff? Oh, okay. Some, some of you guys and gals. Here he says, but, but man, the wicked just spring up like grass. They seem to prosper too. And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it's that they may be destroyed forever. You've got to realize, folks, this psalm is telling you in the New Old Testament that this life, this life, listen, is really temporary. Should I say really temporary? I think that's superfluous. I think it's just temporary. This life, life is temporary. I mean, we could go out of here tonight, boom. You ever watch these people drive on 837? <laughs> Be careful when you're going home, by the way. And you just never know. This, this life goes like this, and that's what he's telling you here. And so don't worry about the wicked. Just worry about looking up and giving thanks to the Lord and singing praises to his name. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore, verse 8. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But watch, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. That just means he's going to strengthen his people. He's going to strengthen his people for this tough work temporarily until you get to the place you're going eternally. And praise the Lord for that. I need his strength. And not only that, I've been anointed with fresh oil. I've been anointed. I actually never did this in my Bible. I drew a heart right there. <laughs> Man, that is amazing. I've been anointed with fresh oil. F.B. Meyer said this about this verse. Each morning, bend your heads, you priests of the Most High, for the fresh anointing, for the new ministries that await you. Did you catch that? The former grace and strength doesn't suffice. Suffice. Old texts or Bible passages must be rejuvenated and reminded. Old vows must be re-spoken. The infilling of the Holy Spirit must be as vivid and may be as definite as at the first. Fresh anointings with fresh oil. Each and every day. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, for you to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a blessing? I don't have to rely upon yesterday's resources that have worn out. I don't know about you, but I <laughs> measured myself by athletics. And if I could beat you when I was a kid, then I was good. If I couldn't beat you, I was in trouble and I had a problem with myself. And that's a sick way to live, I know. But I know now 
that I need some fresh resources if I'm going to go play sports with my kids. (laughs) And I don't have them. But spiritually, look at this. I can have fresh resources all the time by the power of the Lord. So great. And you know this, the righteous are going to flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Well, okay, I got some people to talk to in here. Starting with me. I'm in the ARP, A-double-R, double-A-R-P, whatever category now. But see, we don't have to worry. Our, our bodies are going to f- uh, give out here. But he says we're going to keep growing fruitful spiritually if we'll do this. We'll concentrate. We'll stay in. We'll be planted the, where the, in the place where the Lord is, in his house. Yes, this is the house of the Lord, but really the spirit is in us. And you have access to God by the blood of Christ. All the time, even at home, we come here together. Yes, we worship, but stay face-to-face with the Lord. And as your body wears out, don't worry about it. You're still going to be fresh and flourishing and have fruit. And so one of the things that we should be moving towards as a church, and I know we put the kids out and they go to Sunday school or Wednesday night school or whatever you want to call it, but when they come back, do this, folks both old and new, encourage them to get together with the people of the opposite end of the spectrum and talk to them normally and interact with them and make them feel comfortable both ways. And if you're a parent, do it. Honestly, because we're together in this, whether you're 90 years old or nine years old. You get what I'm saying? Because just because somebody's older doesn't mean they don't have something to offer. They still bear fruit in the old age because they're fresh and flourishing. I got bad news for you, though. The word in the Hebrew for fresh is fat. (laughs) But they don't mean fat like we mean fat. They mean nourished. That's what they mean. That's what the writer here means. That means you're filled up with the Lord. You're nourished. You're nourished. You're nourished. Isn't that great? Yeah, so great. So be fresh and flourishing. And why? Older people, seriously, me, I'm pointing at me. Why? Why is God filling you up and continuing to work with you and me in our old age? Look at it. So that you can be a witness. So you can go proclaim the gospel to declare that the Lord is upright. That's why. Why is he still making me fruitful to declare that the Lord's upright? You still have stuff to do. There's no retirement in the Christian life because he is our rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. The Lord reigns, Psalm 93. He's clothed with majesty. He's clothed with majesty. Now, majesty is an interesting word. Boyce says this about majesty. It's a hard idea to define, but it has to do with dignity. Listen, dignity. Authority of sovereign power, stateliness, grandeur. It's the proper characteristic of earthly monarchs who've gone to great lengths to enhance the impression of their majesty by multiplications of trappings of power. Now watch, listen right here. Here's what majesty is. 
but it's supremely the attribute of him who is the monarch over all and who does not need to multiply the trappings of his power. In other words, meekness under control, or power under control, meekness. Isn't that great? So the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He's girded himself with power. I want you to see that the Lord is the source of his power. Psalm 62 says, power belongs to God. He doesn't produce power. He is power. He's girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it can't be moved. Your throne is established from old. You're from everlasting. Now watch. The floods have lifted up. If you don't know hardly anything about the Bible, when you hear flood, what do you think about? Noah. And what was God doing when he sent the flood? Judgment. Sin. And God was reacting to it, wasn't he? The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Now, this is really fascinating. Real quick, watch this. He's thinking of the judgment. That's in his mind here. The flood, the floods, judgment, sin. He's penalizing sin. But also sea, the Jews were terrorized by the open sea. They didn't like it. It brought about uh, uh, thoughts of fear and terror because it was very mysterious and deep. And what could happen out there was nothing but good. So when he talks about the mighty waves of the sea, he's saying there's fear here too. So the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier, yes, than the noise of many waters. But just so you know, there are mighty waves of the sea. And they're very scared here, whoever this is that's writing this. There's something fearful, or there's something wicked, or there's something bad. And it says, though, at the end, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Here's what the Lord's after. Watch this. Uh, When people come in to counsel for um, marriage, I always tell them this, and some of them get mad at me. I don't know that marriage is for your happiness. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not exactly for happiness. It's for your holiness. And see, everything that the Lord is doing in your life is if you're a saved believer who believes in Jesus Christ, he's moving you on towards Christ-likeness or holiness. Even though you do positionally have the righteousness of Christ, he's moving you on practically to holiness. And here, the Lord reigns. And how do you move yourself above all the fears of life? Hold on now. There's a lot of fears in here. I bet. And how do I move myself beyond the sin? Is I look up to the throne that's mightier than the floods or the seas. That's what he's saying here. One more, we're done. You're like rolling your eyes. This one's only six pages long. No, I'm kidding. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, I want you to see this. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not you. Now, I'm going to say something, and it's going to make people mad, but I'm still going to say it. It's not up to you to punish people 
for the things you see on the news? Should we work hard in the political arena? Sure, of course. Be an informed citizen, pray, uh, do our things as an American citizen that praise the Lord we have the right. Yes, nobody's saying that. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. He's going to come and set everything right. And so I just sort of gave you an example in a micro or macro level, but what about the micro level? What happens when somebody does something against you and you hold a grudge against them or won't forgive them? The reason you won't do it is because vengeance, you think, belongs to you. You want to continue to hold the right to penalize the person. And the funny part about all of that is you think you're getting back at the person when really inside you're the one that's being eaten alive. It's toxic. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You could look that up in Romans 12, right around verse 18 through 21, somewhere in there. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. I believe it's possible that you can forgive anyone for anything in the context of your relationship with the Lord. Now let me say that again. I'm measuring my words here. I believe anybody, Christian, can forgive anyone for anything in the context of their relationship with the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. You've been commanded to forgive. And God works every situation out for his good and his glory. Not every situation is good or glorious, but he works it out for your good and glory. And in that you can trust. So you can forgive people because God commands you to forgive people. In fact, he says, if you don't forgive, well, you're not forgiven. And that's not a works-based salvation. He's just saying, you're going to look like your dad. And the dad... This dad, the heavenly father, is a forgiving father based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And vengeance belongs to him. Now, why did I go through all of that? Because people have trouble forgiving others. It's a roadblock. It's a stumbling block. It jams people up for years and years and years and maybe their whole human earthly life. But we're different. So let's remember... O Lord God, to whom vengeance belonged, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Uh, Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the look wicked? How long will the wicked triumph? We hate it when the wicked get away with stuff, when we're serving the Lord. And yet, don't look over there. You're you. God will take care of that. They utter speech. They speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast. They break in pieces your people, O Lord. Afflict your heritage. Slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. And when you hear that, what do you do? You just, ooh, boy, that's tough. Yet they say the Lord doesn't see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Boy, are they mistaken. Because he's coming again. He came the first time as the suffering servant. But he's coming again as the righteous judge. So understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools when you will be wise. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? No, of course he's going to see. He instructs the nations, shall he not correct? Notice, the Lord actually instructs nations. Amazing. 
He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. You think you're getting away with something when you're thinking about something in your head, about maybe your spouse or your friend or somebody in the church? (laughs) What are you getting away with? The Lord knows it. So just admit it. Ask for forgiveness and ask for forgiveness from the, the, the brother or sister if that's appropriate and move on. And he's uh, faithful to uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's amazing. They're futile, he says. Now watch. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord. In order to be instructed, you have to be humble. Even if you're in the class. You ever been in a class? I have. And saying, man, saying under your breath or in your heart, what can I learn from him or her? I know more than she does or he does. But as blessed is the man, happy is the man who receives instructions. When you teach out of your law, O Lord, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity. What's funny about this is he never stops the adversity. He just gives you rest from the days of adversity, and here's how. He gives you rest and peace in the middle of it. He won't let the fire burn you. He won't let the waves overtake you. He'll stand with you in the middle because he will be there with you. It's it's incredible. He doesn't take away the adversity because adversity to the Christian is a good word. Read the Charles Spurgeon quote again. Until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people. I know, I'm going over, but watch this. There are no cast-offs in the family of God. If you think you're a cast-off, well, you're not. God can use you, and we love you, and we want you to come and and, and be a valuable part of the body of Christ. You're not a cast-off. That's for the world. That's the world organizations. They throw people on the pit. Or the trash heap. Nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity, unless the Lord had been my help? My soul would soon have settled in silence if I say, My foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And then I'm trying to go fast to get to this. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, Lord, Your comforts, whoo, delight my soul. Don't raise your hand, but I'll bet you 80% of the people in this room right here deal with anxiety and fear. And the Lord said here, right in his psalm, that in the multitude of the anxieties of the psalmist, and he didn't have one, he had a hundred. There were several things going on in his life. He was scared. He was anxious. His stomach was in knots. He couldn't sleep at night. In the multitude of anxieties within him, your comforts delight my soul. Okay, listen. I'm going to quote Spurgeon one more time. Do I have it here? Oh, I do. You guys are so great because I send them to him at odd times of the night and day. But anyway... Listen to what Spurgeon said about this. How sweet are the comforts of the Spirit. Who can muse upon eternal love, immutable purposes, covenant promises, finished redemption, the risen Savior, his union with his peoples, and such like schemes without feeling his heart 
leap or leaping with joy. Somebody get that quote, carve it out and send it to everybody. Those are the things that happen. He comforts you those ways. And they're fresh and new, not new in the sense that they're different than the gospel. The gospel's the gospel. But the Lord, he's just so multifaceted. And you see him through his word in new ways of just beauty and uh, glory to you that it's just unbelievable and comforts your soul. Now, the Lord never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and always. And yet, he's so multifaceted. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? No. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense, my rock, the rock of my refuge. He's brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. You Don't have to worry about all the wickedness. Yes, stand up to it. Do your best. Fight in the political arenas. uh, 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 Support the police and, and pray for them and do all of those things. But you don't have to let it eat and gnaw at you because the Lord is coming back. And he's going to put every single injustice right and correct it. Praise God. There's a temporary life. Thanks be to God that we have eternal life. It doesn't begin somewhere in the future. It begins at the moment you surrender your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thanks for this evening, and thank you for these psalms that teach us over and over again things you want us to know. It must be, Lord... Not because we're hard, or you're hard-headed, but because we're hard-headed and it doesn't get through. So help us, Lord, to obey and to love and to share and to forgive and to have tender hearts and to be reconciled to people we need to be reconciled to. Lord, those are great miracles right there. We just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.